Hi, Jason here, creator of The Grey Rooms. We know you haven't heard from us too much in the recent weeks, but with the conclusion of Season 1 and the start of work on Season 2, I promise we will be back very, very soon. We have begun to work on Season 2 and so far extremely excited to share it with you. Season 1 had a roller coaster ride of emotions, and I can assure you, Season 2 will be the same, if not more. There will be more information after this episode. This episode is one of our patron episodes. We release these exclusively for those who are gracious and generous enough to support us financially. We release four to five of these stories, as well as early releases of episodes and other content and swag. We are releasing this episode minus the intro scene with the warden in it. Sorry, his antics can only be enjoyed as a patron, unfortunately. But I am certain you might hear him at some point during season two. No, maybe. This story was lent to us by a very talented author. You may know her from such shows as the No Sleep Podcast. And as one of the masterminds behind that super awesome and, <laughs> and funny podcast, Calling Darkness. This is a tale from author S.H. Cooper. We hope you enjoy this twisted tale from the mind of S.H. Cooper, titled In Darkness. Enjoy. woke up in darkness. The last thing I remembered was getting out of work and heading to my car. It must have been after one in the morning. The movie theater had closed at midnight, but I'd stayed late to cash out registers and take inventory after all of my employees left. I hadn't thought much of it, leaving so late. It was just part of being the evening manager. Of course, I'd always been told to be careful, to be alert to carry my keys tucked between my fingers like makeshift claws in case I needed to defend myself. But after so many years of doing the same thing every night without issue, I'd gotten lax. Besides, I was in my late 20s, not a little girl, and I was heavyset and plain at best. Not the kind of woman that predators tend to target. I almost made it to my car. It was only steps away. I was already reaching for the door handle. I want to say that I heard someone coming up behind me, that I wasn't caught totally unaware, and that I put up a good fight. But I've never been a very good liar. One minute, I was thinking of what drive through I'd visit on my way back to my apartment. The next, I was standing upright in pitch blackness with a throbbing head. My first reaction was to try and lift a hand to touch the back of my skull, where I could already feel a lump forming, but I quickly discovered I was unable to do so. The space I was in was so tight, so restrictive, that my arms were pinned against my sides. The more my mind continued to clear, the more aware I became of my confinement. The sides of whatever I was in pressed in from all around me. I could hardly move. Couldn't turn at all. 
I was completely closed in. A panicked, caged feeling swelled in my chest and rose from my throat in a scream. I jerked my body this way and that, slamming my shoulders and knees against the walls of my tiny prison. But they didn't bend or budge. They didn't even groan in protest. They held fast, silently and sturdy against my wild struggles. Help! I shouted when I was able to overcome my initial terror enough to form words. Please, anyone! My hot, ragged breathing quickly filled the small space until I felt like I was going to choke. Help! I screamed again. You need to calm down. Someone replied. Their voice was muffled, but clear enough to understand. Hello? I leaned forward instinctively, eagerly and cracked my nose sharply against the hard surface only inches in front of my face. I yelped, and tears sprang to my eyes. Calm down. The voice repeated. It sounded like a woman, maybe my age, coming from somewhere off to my right. What's your name? My name? I swallowed hard. Sierra. Who are you? Becky. Where, Where are we? What's happening? It was taking every ounce of restraint I had not to start screaming again. Tears were falling freely, dripping down my cheeks and chin and neck, and there was nothing I could do to stop them. That inability to do something as simple and reflexive as wipe my eyes only amplified my helplessness, and a renewed wave of dread washed over me. I felt twitchy, jittery, like something was slithering just beneath my skin and I had to tear it away before it wrapped itself around my heart. I don't know. Becky cut through my mounting hysteria. He brought us here and and some others too, but I don't hear them anymore. I think he... She trailed off without finishing her thought. But I was pretty sure I knew what she was going to say. Do you know who he is? I pressed myself against the front of what I'd come to assume was a box, searching desperately for any signs of light to indicate where a crack might be. I found none. No... Becky replied, and her voice shook with that single word. I was on my way back to my dorm, and he must have snuck up behind me. I don't know how long I've been here. There were two others, and Lindsay and Roberta when I got here. They were nice, especially Roberta. She, um, she sounded older. Like my mom. She inhaled with the unmistakable sharpness of someone trying to keep themselves from breaking down. Have you seen him? The man who brought us here? No. I don't even know for sure that it's a man. I've only ever heard them breathing, but it's deep. It it sounds like a guy. I bit my lip hard to keep from crying again and rested my forehead against the box. The surface was cool and smooth, some kind of metal and I was reminded of the lockers we'd had in high school. I wondered if that's what we were in, a row of unusually durable lockers. It was almost absurd to think of myself stuffed into one like a nerd out of some 90s teen sitcom, and I didn't know whether to laugh or start bawling. What happened to the other two? I managed to ask. If I could keep Becky talking and give myself something to focus on, maybe I'd be able to stem the rush of panic filling my chest before it drowned me. He took them, she said quietly. Lindsay first. She screamed a lot. 
Roberto didn't though. He um he talked to him, tried to get him to let me go. He uh, he said she'd do whatever he wanted if he did that. That was the last thing I heard her say. She sniffled softly, and then her frightened, desperate sobs filled the space between us, and neither of us could speak through our despair. While Becky wept, I felt along my box as best I could, trying to find some kind of weakness, a crack in the surface, a seam, anything that I might use to my advantage. Everywhere I could reach, though, was solid. Everything was unyielding. It stank of must and stale air in my box, and for the first time, I was certain I could smell the tangy, acidic scent of my own fear. It was very quiet wherever we were, and other than Becky crying, I couldn't hear much of anything. Were we in a basement, perhaps? Someone's house? The thought that we might be being held in the heart of some suburban neighborhood, surrounded by soccer moms and bratty little kids, somehow just made it worse. Being so close to help, but unable to reach out. I'd never felt so paralyzed and powerless before. And to know that we weren't the first. There had been others, at least two, and no one had come for them. No one, except him. Who was he? What did he want from us? Why was he doing this? I saw hundreds of people every day at my job. He could have been one of them. I could have taken his ticket, served him popcorn, directed him to his theater. I could have looked him right in the eye with a smile and never would have known it. The sudden violent need to vomit overcame me and unable to stop it, I threw up all down my front. What didn't cling to my shirt puddled in a hot, wet mess beneath my feet. Are you okay? Becky had gotten her emotions under control long enough to ask. I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> Thin and high-pitched and terrified at the question. <laughs> no. I said honestly. I had never been less okay. It was impossible to tell how much time passed. Enough for the smell of my own sick to permeate the air, covering all else until I was dizzy and my eyes watered. My limbs were cramping and stiff, but there was no way to relieve them. My head continued to ache, but there was no way for me to check how badly I'd been injured when I'd been struck. There was no way to do anything except cry. And I did. <laughs> Every time I thought of my parents or my cat or even my co-workers, who would know something was wrong immediately when my perfect attendance record was finally broken after I didn't show up for that night shift, I thought of how much of my life I'd wasted at that theater and how little I'd spent pursuing actual interests. I thought of how scared I'd been to try new things and how little I'd pushed myself and how much I'd always said, tomorrow is another day. I thought of how much I regretted and I regretted that there were so many things to think of. Becky and I took turns trying to console one another, but it was never long before one or both of us broke down again. We wanted to believe that there would be a way out. We wanted to believe that we'd be okay. 
but neither of us were that naive. And when we finally heard a door open somewhere off in the distance, we both immediately went quiet. We listened to the slow approach of footsteps, and I held my breath like it might make some kind of difference. Becky whimpered. The steps paused and I could hear breathing, deep and guttural. A man, just like Becky had said. Hinges squeaked as he opened Becky's box. I never heard a girl shriek like she did then. It was the sound of an animal crying out for its life. There was a brief scuffle, and she howled all the while. My name lingered in the air long after Becky had been dragged away. The silence that followed was so utter, so thick. I kicked against my box, threw myself side to side, pounded my body against it as hard as I could, and I screamed until my throat was raw. And I was sure I tasted iron. But no one came. Not until he returned. It could have been hours, days. I had no way of knowing. I was left in my own vomit and waste, without food or water or light. My body ached. My mind was foggy. Every part of me was exhausted. Every so often, a small burst of desperate energy would fill me and I'd beat against my box again. But they were becoming shorter and more spaced out. When I heard that door open in the distance again, my stomach lurched and my eyes flitted around in a wild, futile attempt to find something I could use to help myself. But just as Becky had, all I could do was scream when the door to my box was wrenched open. Light, blinding and painful, flooded in and I immediately turned away. A pair of rough, large hands grabbed me by my upper arms and I tried to claw at them. Oh God, I tried, but I was so weak and I was dragged out. I fell to my knees and tried to scramble away from my captor on all fours. The fingers tangled in my hair and pulled me back to my feet. By then, I could open my eyes enough to see a row of plain metal crates in an otherwise bare and empty cinder block room. And the man, huge, fat, with pale, watery eyes and thinning hair. He wore no expression as he pulled me down a long hallway. There were no windows, no way to know where I was, just plain white walls and a few doors under fluorescent lights like some kind of forgotten prison facility. I did everything I could to resist him, but he barely seemed to notice. He just kept tugging me along, unconcerned with my shouting, unhurried. At the very end of the hall, a set of double doors stood slightly ajar, and I could hear music drifting out from within. A cold, black certainty settled like a stone in my stomach then. If I went into that room, 
I wasn't coming back out alive. I pulled, I pleaded, I clawed and kicked and even tried to bite, but nothing faced him and I was shoved through the doors. It was decorated like some kind of 50s fever dream. Little partitioned areas made to look like a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, a bedroom, and an all but the bedroom. A woman. They were all dead, with rings of black and purple bruises around their necks, and each was strung up on a series of ropes like life-size marionettes. In the living room, a teen girl with blonde hair and bulging milky blue eyes was dressed in a poodle skirt and a modest white sweater. She was seated on the small love seat, one leg crossed over the other, and a magazine opened in her lap. Her head had been tilted down so that her vacant stare was on the pages. In the dining room, a slightly older girl, college-aged, the kind one might find walking back to their dorm after an evening of studying, was positioned beside the table as if she were setting it for supper. She was in a tea-length yellow dress, her dark hair cut into short, soft curls, and her lips had been painted pink. An older woman in a polka dot dress stood in front of a lime green stove in the kitchen. Her hands were tied over a casserole dish, like she'd just finished preparing it. Even in death, there was a motherly quality to her features, a gentleness marked by laugh lines around her eyes and mouth. The final room, the bedroom, had a pair of twin beds. On one, a red silk negligee and robe had been carefully laid out, just waiting for someone to come put them on. It looked like it was made for a heavier set woman, someone older than the two girls, but younger than the woman in the kitchen. Someone like me. I only had time to release a short, shuddering gasp. <gasps> before his fingers closed around my neck from behind. In Darkness, written by S.H. Cooper, and starring Holly Linden as Sierra and Charlotte Norup as Becky. Sound design and audio engineering were by me, Jason Wilson. Musical composition was by J.M. Scherf, and the artwork was by Graham Rowett and Brooks Bigley. Again, this was one of our patron-exclusive releases during the season. So you see, you receive early access, plus extra episodes. Feel free to drop on over and join today. We would greatly appreciate it. We will release another patron story for you to hear in the coming weeks, and coming up very soon will be the first time author story. Now, we had a few vacations, and of course, a computer issue put us a little behind schedule. But we are back to rolling everything out. The first time author will be Christina Wilson. You 
may have heard that name before, you think? Yes. She played Lucy in season one, and also lent us her writing skills as well. I know you will enjoy her first ever creation, Sanctuary, which we will give you more info on in the very near future. Thanks again for hanging out with us as we continue to work towards Season 2. And as always, we'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks.